This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. All right, so just to finish up the first half of that redemption story, only the first half, remember. All of that happened and... Then you go into the uh, Virginia again, won the Atlantic Coast Conference regular season, go into the tournament. They win the first round. They go into the second round against Florida State, and they lose. So here we are again, right? Um, uh, they can't function under pressure. They, they, they're not a clutch team. And um, so the ra- radar showing that we're fine, so y'all just hang with us here. All right, second redemption story, first half of it anyway, and we're not going to be able to um, to put these scriptures up on the screen, so let me get it here and read it for you. So Jesus was born under some pretty extraordinary circumstances to a young virgin girl. That much was miraculous. That much was different from anybody else who has ever been born. And the first couple of years, there were some challenges around the the message that had gone out that a new king had been born in Israel. And that message got to uh, King Herod, who was very insecure and who was a narcissist and whose opinion was that there should be no king except him. And so he put out an order that all the baby boys two years old and under should be killed to ensure that no king would come along that would remove him from his throne and take over power. So Joseph and Mary took the baby Jesus and they fled and they went to Egypt and they spent some time there until the threat was over, like we just experienced, until the storm had blown over. And then they returned home. And from that point, Jesus lived a relatively normal life as far as the details that we're given. Now, we're not given all the details. But we're not told that he was working any miracles or doing anything that was really extraordinary as a child or as a teenager. He's living with a normal Jewish family. His, his stepfather is a carpenter. His mom is probably a homemaker and a mother raising her kids. He had siblings. He's helping his dad out on the job. He's going to school and getting an education. He's involved in life, just like the rest of us. The only example from his youth that's sort of out of the ordinary that we're told about is that when he was about 12, Um, His parents had journeyed to Jerusalem, and he'd gone into the temple. And then when they left there, they couldn't find him. And and they went back looking for him, and they found him in the temple. In in other words, they found him at church. That's not where every young person at 12 years of age would likely be found if their parents, you know, didn't know where they were and went looking for them. But in his case, it was. And when they asked him what he was doing, his response was, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? So that was a little out of the ordinary, but not hugely, because you do have exceptional kids that come along 
once in a while that seem to have uh, sort of a keen interest in spiritual matters, to be more deeply interested in God and the ways of God than others. And so he's sitting there carrying on conversations with the religious leaders. Other than that, it's Jesus living life as a boy, as a teenager, as a young man. But then, around 30 years old, he starts to get more out into public and to talk to larger groups of people and to present this message known as the kingdom of God. It actually starts with that terminology when he uh, preaches a powerful sermon to a bunch of people sitting outdoors one day that became known as the Sermon on the Mount, and he opens up that sermon by describing what the kingdom of God looks like. And a lot of the principles that he presents are upside down and inside out from what they understood the religious system or the ways of God to be. Okay? What happened then is that he started to lay hands on the sick and they would immediately recover. He started to work miracles over nature such as a violent storm would blow up and he would speak to that storm and tell it to be quiet and to lay down and it would. So of course what happens anytime you have something like that going on is that be people become more and more interested in it, right? And people start to turn out in larger numbers to see what's going on. Curiosity is getting the best of them. They're hearing the stories. Now they want to witness the stories. And so the crowds are growing. And Jesus becomes very, very popular. All right? And people are calling his name. He becomes a household name in that area. And they're turning out in droves to hear him talk, to hear him tell stories, and to watch him perform miracles. And the popularity grows and grows and grows. And in John chapter 11, which is the chapter before the one I'm going to read to you in a minute, he has a situation where he has a good friend by the name of Lazarus, who gets sick, and the word comes to Jesus that he's sick, and Jesus just kind of procrastinates and hangs around a little extra time and waits until Lazarus is actually dead before he goes to Lazarus's family. And when he gets to the place, when he gets to the home of Lazarus's sisters, and Lazarus is already dead, they feel like it's too little too late, right? Somebody actually says to him, what are you going to do now? He's been dead for four days. His body stinks by now. There's nothing that can be done now. And so Jesus does a God thing. He does something that nobody else can do. He goes to the grave and he calls to this dead carcass and says, live again, come forth. And Lazarus walks out of the grave, wrapped up in grave clothes, and the popularity spikes to an, to an enormous level because we're talking about a man who can take two little fish and five little bitty biscuits and break them up and feed fifteen or 20,000 people. 
We're talking about a man who can speak to a storm and tell the winds to stop and the rains to stop and the waters to calm down, and they do. We're talking about a man who can go over to a blind person, spit in the dirt, make mud, put the mud in his eyes, tell him to go wash his eyes, and all of a sudden, the guy can see with 20-20 vision. But we're also talking about a man who can speak to a dead person. Listen, we're not talking about 20 minutes after expiration. We're not talking about an hour or two where there could be some question about whether this person may just be comatose. Because, you know, there, there have been cases throughout history where they thought somebody was dead. They couldn't detect a pulse. They couldn't detect a heartbeat. There was no breath coming in and out of the mouth or the nose. And it ends up the person was not dead. There have actually been people picked up by the coroner instead of an ambulance because they thought they were dead. And on the way to the funeral home, they realize, hey, I've got a live person in here. Not a job I would want, but it happens. No, four days dead. Funeral finished, body anointed and wrapped, carried to the tomb, placed in the tomb the tomb sealed, and the family gone home to eat chicken and ham and mourn, and it's over, right? But now we're talking about a man who can speak into that situation, and the dead man walks out fully alive, breathing, talking, having chicken and ham with his family. What do you think is going to happen? Where do you think the popularity is going to go? What do you think is going to happen in this story? And it culminates with this in John 12. As Eddie referenced, Palm Sunday. This is why they call it Palm Sunday. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint, about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is just one lady. This is just one situation. But this is exemplary of what's going on in Jesus' life. There are people who are actually giving their reverence to him. There are people who are actually acknowledging his lordship. There are people who are actually paying expensive prices to be able to get near him, to touch him, to anoint him, to bless him in some way because he is an awesome figure. He's showing signs that he really, really might be God. He might be the Messiah. And so you have Mary who is pouring out very, very expensive perfume and anointing his feet and drying his feet with her hair. And then Judas objects. And Judas says, why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? 
And then down in verse 7, Jesus says, leave her alone. Now listen, Jesus is not saying leave her alone because he knows this trend is going to continue. That he knows the popularity and the fame is going to keep going up and up. He's saying leave her alone because there's a powerful lesson in what she's doing that everybody needs to learn. That everybody who will remain in the circle, who will remain attentive, who will not disappear and go on about their business for the rest of their lives. Everyone who's paying attention after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, somewhere down the road, as they're meditating, as they're contemplating, as they're going back and researching the Scriptures and the prophecies from the Old Testament, a light bulb is going to come on and they're going to learn a powerful lesson from what Mary did in this moment. That's why he said, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but me you will not always have among you. This is the lesson, and you may not get it now, he says, but you will get it at some point down the line. Here we go again. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. The crowd is there. The spectators are there. The excitement level is high. There's huge anticipation about what's going to happen. Just like the basketball tournament last year. Huge anticipation. Best team in the country. Pretty easy path early on to get to where they want to go. The crowds are showing up. The fans are there. They've, 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 they've shown their loyalty. They've poured out their perfume. We're here, right? And in verse 10 it says, So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing on him. And in verse 12, it says, The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, thus Palm Sunday, and went out to meet him shouting. Eddie, the the Catholics are not the only ones who did that. When I was a kid, on Palm Sunday, they had palm branches and, and people would line the Line the aisles coming into the church, and the kids would come in. It was very exciting, and they would be wa- waving the palm branches and, and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Exciting stuff, high emotion stuff, celebratory stuff. Everything's going well. Everything's happening like we want it to happen. Everything's headed in a direction that we always prayed it would hit. Here comes the king. King of the Jews, Hosanna, blessed is the son of David who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Very, very cool. A big parade. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughters, I see your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. And at first, the disciples did not understand all of this. And only after Jesus was glorified. Listen, like I said before, all of these things are happening. 
so that later on we can remember, we can look back, we can contemplate the powerful, powerful lessons that come out of these situations. And now the crowd, or only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. And many people, here comes more people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Top of the world. Top of the world, hearing the cheers of the crowd. And there is one person, there's one person in the midst of all of them, from the big crowds who've just come out for the sessions on the hillsides, to the people who have witnessed a miracle, maybe one, maybe two here or there, to the people who've actually never been there, but they heard the stories, all the way down to his followers, some of whom were there off and on, some of the, they, whom were there relatively consistently, and some of whom were there all the time. Among all of the above, there's one person who knows that the trend that they're currently in is not going to continue. That the popularity is about to take a nosedive. That all the, all the glory and all the shouting and all the big crowds and all the miraculous stuff is swiftly coming to an end. So six days before Passover, all of this is happening. All of this is going on. And then... Things take a turn. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, y'all have a good week. I'll see you on Easter Sunday. And we're going to see what happens. We're going to revisit. I know you know the story. But if there's anything I know, it's that the Father wants to teach us something we never knew out of this story this year. He wants to show us something that we hadn't thought about that's going to impact us individually right where we are. You see, we've been doing something here that I don't know if everybody's aware of or not for weeks. We've been, we've been heading towards something. Every week, it's a few more steps towards something. It's not without intention. It's not without purpose because there are people who are part of our fellowship here. I'm very proud of all of you. God is very proud of all of you. But there are still some of us that we just have so much more to realize in our own kingdom walk. And, and there's so many more things He wants to show us. And there's, there are levels He wants to take us to that we really don't even know are there. Much less know how to get there. And this doesn't have anything to do with how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you grew up in church like I did. 
You can be day one. You can have only had your encounter and never launched into a lifelong journey with him. Or you can have been walking and living as a believer for 50 years. None of that matters at this point. What matters is, is that we have some who really, really have some stuff coming in your life if you'll walk it out. If you'll continue even when the palm branches are laying in a heap on the side of the road and the voices have died out. Even when the shouts have, are, have gone away. Even when we're not seeing the miracles happen in front of our faces. Even when it's just us feeling like, what happened? I thought this was supposed to be better than this. I thought this was supposed to end up differently than it has. I thought that something was supposed to happen in my life because of my faith in God, and I just haven't seen it happen. You know, I think a lot of times frustration is a choice, just like a lot of other things are a choice. If there's one thing that it would be very easy for me to get frustrated about if I dwelled on it long enough, it would be to, have, to know that we have people that walk with us for a very long time who dig into the Word with us on a regular basis and who know the truth because they've been presented with the truth. But you just see stuff and you just hear stuff just, that just makes you say, Really? Are we still there? After a year, after two years, after five, are we still there? Is this, is this how slowly we're progressing? You know what I choose to do? I choose to not be frustrated by that because this is not my plan. You know, progress is not up to me. Results are not up to me. And that's why I say if you've been in it 50 years, if you've been in it 20 years, if you've been in it one year, if you've been in it one day, the Father has some stuff He wants to give us. He wants to teach us. He wants to reveal to us. I think through this, and, and y'all have heard me say so many times that I just do not want the ways of the kingdom to become ordinary, to become trite, to become meaningless. I don't want these words, words like redemption, to not really be as powerful as they're supposed to be because we've heard them so much and we just really don't pay attention to the inner workings of what's inside of all of that. So, He wants to teach us stuff that makes it new, that makes it real, that makes it alive. So I'm, I'm encouraging you to do something you may not have ever done before and may not have been encouraged to do before. I'm encouraging you this week to dwell on the collapse Dwell on the collapse. You can think about Virginia basketball if you want to, but you probably won't. Okay? That's not really what I'm talking about. You can dwell on the story of Jesus Christ, and we're saving the actual collapse until next week, but you know the story. You can review it, you can go read it, you can toss it around in your mind. That should be part of your thinking. But mainly I'm talking about your collapse. You say, well, Jeff, I'm not living in a collapse right now. But 
we've all had a collapse or more than one. And the thing is, is that sometimes, even though we love God, even though we're born again, even though we're going to church, we're worshiping and fellowshipping and ministering with other believers, there are things from the collapse or the collapses that continue to negatively impact us along the way. That's the next step. That's the next miracle that's coming. Is that we who have committed ourselves to the kingdom way, to this journey, now start to really understand and live in the victory over every collapse and every uh, result of every collapse that ever happened in our lives. One at a time, we gain victory over them so that they no longer have a negative impact on us. So, you may have to start with asking the question, what was my collapse? What was it? Or what were they? I'm going to name a few things just to get the gears turning. I'm not thinking about anybody in the room. And, and sometimes it's risky to start naming things because people think, well, he's talking about me. He's... People in the room know what happened. What I... Listen, it's important that we do this, okay? Whatever the huge disappointment was, Whatever goal you set that was knocked out from under you, speaking in general terms now, whatever dream you had, <coughs> last night I did something strange. I'm laying in the bed watching Sanford and Son, one of the greatest shows ever in the history of TV. And all of a sudden I just paused the TV, I got my phone, I pulled up YouTube, I pulled up Susan Boyle singing I Dreamed a Dream at um, Britain's Got Talent in 2009. Have you ever watched it? Have you ever seen it? Go home and watch it if you want to weep. What, what was the dream? Because the, the end of the song says, but life killed my dream. Listen, I get the song, but we cannot land there. We cannot land in a spot, regardless of age, regardless of life circumstance. We cannot land in a spot where we confess and embrace that life and its circumstances killed our dream. If we land there, the enemy's got us right where he wants us. See, when we get into the end of the Jesus story, or not the end, but that part of the Jesus story, next week where he's crucified, it'd be easy to walk away from that and say, well, that was good, it was exciting for a while, but life and its circumstances killed that dream. Just like Lazarus, Jesus was in the grave for days. Not four days, but for days. Right? So, what happened to your dream? 
Maybe the remnants, the fallout of divorce. Maybe the remnants, the fallout of mistreatment, abuse of whatever form it took. Or whatever other busted up and broken relationships have happened in your life. But however that person or those people let you down, dis- disappointed you on whatever level, whatever rejection you experienced, whatever abandonment you felt like was dumped on top of you by somebody else's decisions. Whatever. Whatever the dream. Whatever the goal. Whatever the idea however it got trampled on. Whatever the results of that trampling ended up looking like, here's God's plan. Redemption. Redemption. And listen, when we walk out God's plan, when we walk in obedience to God's plan, the product of redemption ends up being so much more exciting so much more rewarding, so much more fulfilling than the original product was or than we thought it was ever going to be if we never fully got there. So spend some time this week thinking about your collapse. What was it you did? Notice how I just shifted it over from what somebody might have done to you Often, it's attached to what I did that continues to produce frustration, guilt, self-condemnation, and to affect relationships and to perfect productivity and to perfect my journey. I've got to get past that. I've got to see redemption applied to that. Because the word of the Lord is, is that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no guilt or condemnation. Life in the Spirit. So it may sound like a challenge to maybe spend the week in a little bit of negative thought, but we're moving toward a positive end. We've been moving toward it for a while. And sometimes you have to spend a minute in a dark valley, in a shadowy spot, before you get to the beautiful spot that's on the other side of it. So Easter's going to be powerful for us. It's going to be powerful for us. Because I believe some people are going to answer the call this week and are going to come in next week ready to hear the second half of the redemption stories. We're going to share communion together at the end next week as a way of celebrating the opportunity that he's giving us to dwell not just in the pre-crucifixion experiences, the glorious moments of Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, witnessing the miracles and hearing the teachings. And not just in 
the fact that we choose to remain faithful when times are hard, that we think we would have stood with him during accusation and trial and conviction and the death sentence and the crucifixion. But we're going to celebrate that we have the opportunity to walk out of our own grave just like he walked out of his. And that we have the opportunity to overcome the results and the fallout of whatever, whatever our collapses have been. So, read the story and do a lot of thinking this week. Listen, don't muddle it up with a lot of other stuff. If you read a devotional daily, I challenge you to put it down. Don't do it this week. If you listen to the Bible on, on recording, I challenge you not to do it this week. I challenge you to focus on two things. The Jesus story of, that moves from John 12 right through the crucifixion and your own collapses. And we'll come in next week and we'll spend some time seeing what he's able to do. Y'all stand up with me. Father, it's been a good morning. It's been a different morning. But we know your Holy Spirit is teaching, revealing, leading us. And we're, we're, we're obedient to it. We renew our commitment to obedience right now. For this next week, we're going to get prepared. We're going to get prepared for... Redemption stories. So I pray your blessings of peace, power, provision, and protection over your people this week. As we go out into the world and let our lights shine so that people will see our good works and glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen.